This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to finally meet you because this is how we meet each other nowadays over Zoom. Uh, So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about? Absolutely. And and first and foremost, it's great to be here. I'm delighted to have this opportunity to talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart. My name is Lane Clark. I'm the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Manager for the Good Food Institute, or GFI. And GFI is essentially working to shift the food system away from uh, an industrial agriculture meat production environment that is extremely harmful for the climate, for health, for food security, and for biodiversity. And we're doing that through a series of six NGOs right now across the world. There are about 150 of us. We're in the U.S. and Brazil and India, uh, and also um, in Asia Pacific out of Singapore and Europe out of Brussels and London. And so we operate across uh, the three different pillars as we see them of alternative proteins, and that is plant-based protein and then cultivated meat and fermentation-derived And that's all meat, eggs, and dairy. And there are some really exciting things happening in this area that I'm looking forward to speaking with you about. Huge, huge task to undertake. How how are you even go about starting to do something like this? Well, I think that it's a huge task, but it's one that right now has a lot of momentum because it's for us and for, I think, the people that understand the negative externalities of industrial animal agriculture, it's really not a want, uh, it's a need, and it's not an if, it's a when. We have to feed um, 10 billion people by 2050, and we're not going to be able to do that with our current food system. So we have to look at alternatives. And what we've learned over the years is that people really want meat, and it doesn't really matter how much they understand about um, the process and how, how harmful it might be on many levels, they still want meat. And so rather than trying to change people's minds, we know that the right thing to do is to create food that is the same food people want, that tastes as good or better, that costs the same or less, and give them a reasonable option. Because I think people are, are choosing to eat meat, uh, not because of the way it's produced, but despite of the way it's produced. And so this is really an exciting precipice to be on for us. And yes, it's a little bit daunting, but uh, so are a lot of other fields. We see this as, as essential as renewable energy. Uh, I think that we've seen parallels to this in the past. And look, this is a 12,000 year old process that we're still relying on. It's time for change. And the good news is that we're not out here in a you know, solo position doing this and, and screaming into the wind. We've got a lot of, of people and companies behind us. And even the major meat and food companies are leaning into this uh, quite dramatically. And so we feel like we are making inroads and uh, we're, we're very optimistic. 
Well, it seems to me that in this, the things that you mentioned, some of them are a little diametrically opposed, right? I mean, you've got plant-based on one side and you've got meat culturing on the other side. And I mean, isn't GMO part of part of what you're doing as well? So some of it's GMO, some of it isn't GMO. I mean, how do you, how do you keep these aligned? Well, I don't, I don't think it's about being diametrically opposed. I I think it's about giving people choices. So let's say I'm somebody who, uh, I, for whatever reason, I just really want to eat meat, real meat, meat from animals. Well, I'm going to have that option without uh, the negative externalities when we have uh, cultivated meat, which I'm happy to talk a little bit more about how that's produced in a minute because it's pretty fascinating. But that's going to mean I'm eating the exact same thing that I was eating before. But for instance, I don't have the risk of um, the antibiotic usage that is so prevalent among industrial animal agriculture agriculture. So that's, that's a better choice for me. It's a healthier choice for me, but I'm still getting to eat meat that has all the same uh, sensory properties of the meat I'm used to. Now, somebody else might say, I just, I don't really need to eat meat. I want to eat something plant-based, but I I don't want it to taste like the veggie burgers of yore. I want it to taste like a real burger. And so I think all of us has probably had the misfortune of uh, some of the (laughs) 1.0 plant-based options. And and look, they, they weren't so great. Um, they, they were essentially um, very poor substitutes. And, and now we're looking at biomimicking meat, uh, even with plant-based meat. So even plant-based companies now have realized, hey, we can hire tissue engineers and, and we can hire meat scientists for plant-based food to try to get really close, approximate that meat experience. And you know, it was really people like Ethan Brown of Beyond and uh, Pat Brown of Impossible who kind of realized, oh, wait a minute, we're going to have to get very close to this product in order to be able to shift people's opinions. And look, consumers are very funny. They'll say that they are not going to eat meat. We see that every year. We see these reports about how meat consumption is declining. Well, it's just simply not true. Every single year, meat consumption is going up. We're at record high levels, despite the fact that most people know there's a problem. But we believe strongly that it's not because they want to eat meat produced the way it's being produced, they just really want that same experience they've been having. So we're going to try to give it to them. That's exactly right. And if you ask me, we're really close. I mean, some of the impossible meat that I've had lately has, has so, so close, but even some of the older stuff, as long as it's designed properly and you've got the right, there's this um, San Francisco restaurant that served this veggie burger that was so close to meat. It was, it was amazing. And this was years ago. So I think I think we're getting really really close to that. But is there good? Are we going to get to the point where there really is no difference between these two things, and we can literally have people say, "Well, I'll choose plant based today and meat based t- tomorrow," and they'll taste almost exactly the same? Yeah, I think that's absolutely coming, and and, and faster than we think. I also think that we're going to see some very interesting um, opportunities in hybridization. So you may have something that combines uh, cultivated meat with plant based meat. You may have something that has industrial animal meat with plant-based meat. These are all opportunities that have not been realized quite yet, but are very, very quickly coming down the pike. Interesting. So what do you, what would you say is the biggest driver for people to want to switch to something else from a consumer perspective? Like I'm, I'm a typical, I'm a meat eater. I have steak, I have burgers. What would make, what would make me move? Yeah, I, I'd love to tell you that it was some high moral ground, but it's not. It's it's, <laughs> it's basically what's delicious. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's essentially. Now there are, there are a lot of drivers that do have uh, import. I mean, health is one of them. I think that we do see a lot of people switching to alternatives because they they regard them as healthier. But at the end of the day, 
know, it's really about does this taste good or not? And, and there's some very famous experiments that, that bear this out, um, both in the food space and out of the food space. There's a famous green bean experiment from Stanford where, you know, people are told that one of, some of the beans are heart healthy and some of them are low fat. And it, it just turns out people don't care. They, they're just going to eat the ones that are that are that are the tastiest to them. Tastes good. Um, yeah. And, and it's just, you know, same thing happened in the laundry detergent world. You know, if they were told that it was um, eco-friendly, they perceived that it wasn't going to wash their clothes as well. And so they weren't as inclined to buy it. Now, those same people might say that they would buy that. So it's very, it's very difficult to dig into the, the true um, science of consumer preference. But I think most of the time people just choose things because they taste good. The other reason they might choose something if they're looking at a meat case and they see that the plant-based burger is a little bit less or the same price, they might be more inclined because yeah. price is also a driver. Yeah, exactly. So tell me a little bit about the cultivated meat because I haven't seen, it's not in stores, right? I mean, can anyone just go out and buy some now? I know it was incredibly expensive when it first came out. Have, have we gotten to the point where it's inexpensive enough for somebody to actually go out and buy some and try it out? Well, we're not there quite yet. But there have been some very exciting announcements recently that companies are beginning to unlock the secret to getting the price down, which is great. Um, but just a little bit of history on that. Cultivated meat is the, the most recent of the technologies that, that we're talking about today. And it does require a, a great deal of money to get it up and running. And, and right now we're focused very much on the upstream challenges because consumers say that they'll try it. 70% of consumers say they try cultivated meat. But so that's not our issue. The issue is that we've got to get the infrastructure built. We've got to get the bioreactors up and running. We've got to get it to scale. And, and we have companies like Upside in California who are, um, well, just doing an incredible job at, at getting a good footprint for a pilot plant. But we've got to get beyond the pilot and get to scale. And, and that's going to take, I mean, some of the estimates are like $400 million for one, one um, plant. And so uh, yeah, that's going to, we got to have a lot of plants to make enough meat for the world. <laughs> so, how soon before we can get it to a point where it's sort of like artisanal you know you, you may have to spend a lot of money fast. like yeah, that's the wagyu fast. beef i mean wagyu beef is what five five bucks an ounce so yeah. what do we need where do we need to get to wagyu beef territory i mean how far away yeah, are we I, from that I, I think we're looking around there maybe maybe we could be a little bit higher than that because of the uniqueness of this uh sure of this product but the reality is Singapore is already doing it. Singapore has cultivated meat in um, a grocery store too. They have it in a restaurant. They have it in a, like uh, even in a, a kind of a food cart situation. Um, but that's because the Singaporean government has, has gotten. Yeah. Go to Singapore. I'm going to try it Dude. out. I'm going to seek it out. <laughs> well, you, you can. And, and there are, there are other opportunities to try it. Um, but the, the, the availability of it is just not, it's, it's not on a par with anything at this point, but it is coming and it's coming in a way that we feel uh, is tractable. I don't think that this is going to be some kind of um, uphill battle that we never get through. And, and we, we have to look at certain other industries. I mentioned renewable industry uh, energy earlier, and, you know, a ton of money had to be poured into that to bring it to reality, but it had to be is the key there. We have to do this. And I was listening to um, David Kaplan, uh, he's heading up the cultivated meat um, group over at Tufts that was funded by the USDA. And he was saying, look, this is just, we got to do it. It's just, it's just some, there isn't an if we have to do this. And I think that's kind of where we are. It's such amazing technology. We at GFI are agnostic. And if we didn't believe in the science, we wouldn't be out there promoting it. It doesn't benefit us. 
uh, to promote something that we can't bring um, to, to fruition. So we took a very close look at this uh, technology and our scientists determined, yeah, this is not science fiction. This is science. We can, we can bring this to the market or help companies bring it to the market. Um, and so we, we remain super excited and we're seeing a lot of governments get uh, a little bit more uh, behind it. Even in the US, the USDA and the FDA are trying to create the framework for uh, create the regulatory framework around it so that we can clear the path for the US. Uh, Canada is, um, you know, they're really doing a lot with alternative proteins. I'm very impressed with Canada. Uh, Israel and Singapore, I've mentioned already, they're just, uh, they're leaps and bounds ahead of everybody. And, and one of the reasons for that, look, Israel is a very small country. And so in order to, to meet their, their goals, they, they need to be self-sustaining and they need to have food security. And so that's, that's sort of their emphasis. And it's kind of the same with Singapore. But you see those countries really demonstrating how fast you can bring something to bear. Uh, and, and this has been just a number of a very short number of years. We're not talking about decades. Interesting. So it sounds like we're going from what we're doing now to a more sustainable future. Have we ever go gone the other way and looked at what's the minimum minimum dietary requirements that a human being needs and creating some type of food that would fit into that category? It just reminds me of a science fiction story I read once where there were vending machines that had these bars that were completely um, tuned to give everyone full dietary requirements for everything they needed. I mean, are we, are we looking at it from that direction as well, or just in changing what we're doing now? I'm not, that sounds fascinating. I, I, I can't say <laughs> a lot about that, I'm afraid. Um, but I'm sure there are people working on, on all aspects of, of food and human dietary requirements. We're, we are uh, particularly focused on, I, I should go ahead and mention now, I, we operate on three different programmatic departments. And one of them is science and the plurality of our team members are scientists. And then we have policy. I spoke a little bit earlier about the regulatory challenges. They're working on that. You know, there's a battle cry for, for governments to, to put more money into uh, research and, and private sector support. Um, and then there's also, uh, you know, corporate engagement, which is where I sit. And that's working with companies to try to get them on board, which is going very well. But none of what I'm doing is, is talking about anything as specific as, you know, getting it down to an actual, actual, like this many calories a day for this weight and height person. Right. Well, I, I would suggest, I would assume that it's different for everybody, right? So you'd have to yes. walk up to it, does some, some kind of genetic imprint and goes, yeah. okay, you need this, 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 yeah. this, this, and here, here's your bar, right? Exactly. So you're not, we're not looking at it from the, cause I was thinking from the, from a housing perspective, you're like, okay, well, how much space does a human being need to live in? Right. So we could actually come up with a minimum viable housing unit. Is there, but there's no work on what's a vi minimum viable amount of food that somebody needs to eat per day. Not at GFI at this point, but I can tell you that I work with a, a lot of people who are sci-fi buffs and who <laughs> could probably talk about that ad nauseum. Um, and I, and I think that there, there probably are are advances that are going to come as a thought experiment. I think it's fascinating. Uh, and, and who knows, you know, when we're thinking about when we're future casting, there may be a, a point at which we know when we sit down to a table at a restaurant, we know exactly what portion we're supposed to have. And that's, that's how much cultivated meat gets brought to us. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you, you've got a tough task because food is so integral to our lives, right? And it's the experience of eating it, the social piece of it, you know, going in there and messing around with it. This is why you're getting, Oh yeah, I'll definitely try that. And then when it comes right down to it, it's like, no, 
<laughs> so, I well, mean- yeah. And, and we learned we, we've one of our, our, our learnings over the years that we've uh, been in existence is that we might have underestimated the cultural importance of food in certain countries. You know, the U S is relatively new and food is important here, but when you go places like Europe, food is deeply ingrained in the cultures there. And so, yes, it's more than just getting people to think, oh, this is more pragmatic. This makes sense. This is delicious. This is, you know, at price parity, even getting to those things, somehow we have to get people to feel motivated, even if they have a real cultural draw to what they're eating. Right. That Thanksgiving turkey's got to look and smell and taste just like a turkey (laughs) (laughs) and be carvable, right? It's like, what am I going to do with my carving knife? I can't carve this thing. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. All all the the ritualistic things around meat. Yeah, they they have to be replicated. And that, as we spoke earlier, uh, that's a really good example of that's your cultivated meat customer, whereas the plant-based meat customer may not need all of that. So if we do a lot more cultivated meat and we were sort of reduce the number of actual animals that we need. I mean, how is that going to affect the planet? Do we know? Yeah, we know. Uh, It's, it's pretty amazing. And this is when I wish that our uh, fearless leader, Bruce Friedrich was sitting here and not me because he is just an absolute, like he, he could just nail this one. I will do the best I can with it in telling you that at this point, we think meat production is going to be about 70 to hundred percent greater by 2050. Um, and that's mostly in developing countries, which uh, is not a good. If we sound. stay on our current, if we stay on our if current, stay on our current, yeah. And so, what we're looking at, if if that happens, is deforestation. We're looking at a lack of biodiversity. We're looking at huge hits to the climate, and and just we're not going to hit the the Paris Accord requirements. We can't if we continue with current meat production. So, in a nutshell, we're going to blow past all of those goals. And the other thing that could happen, and this one is very scary, is that antibiotic resistance is a a real threat to to all of us. And um, so much so that in some parts of the world, like in the UK, um, they've stated essentially that it's a bigger threat than climate change. Um, And I think that that is possible because right now, let's say 1.5 million people are dying from antibiotic resistance. And in in, um, about... 10 years, I mean, or, or so, we could see like 10 million people dying from it. So we we have to be very cognizant that zoonotic disease, antibiotic resistant, the, ne- the next pandemic um, is another factor that could happen if we don't go down this path. Because look, uh, coronavirus was, it was horrible. It sent 150 million people into extreme poverty and it, and it was lethal and fatal for so many people. It's, it was devastating. But the truth is it was pretty mild as pandemics go. Uh, it, it could have been a lot worse. It wasn't as transmissible as it could have been. And so we've got to get away from these situations where we are just priming the pump for another pandemic. And you look at, for instance, um, just in the case of chickens. So the way we produce chickens, um, it's basically from three strains of birds. You know, It's not like there's a whole bunch of diversity genetically. So we're essentially throwing a bunch of genetic clones into a shed, you know, 50,000 chickens in a shed, 200,000 chickens in a shed. And that is a breeding ground for disease. And so we're just, it's a ticking time bomb. Why would we do that if we have an answer? Why would we put ourselves at risk if we don't need to do that? And just in general, why would we do something that's so inefficient 
to produce the thing we love and we, we can do something efficient to produce it. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like, has it not gotten to this point because people feel that it, is it just the profitability? I mean, what, what makes it the way it is? How, why is it the way it is? Is it because there's no regulations in that space or is it because they found that this is the most efficient or productive way of, of creating, of generating the meat? Uh, the current food system is based, as I mentioned, on, on 12,000 years of thinking this is the way we, we are able to eat meat. And that involves killing animals. And as we've gotten larger as a population, it's involved killing animals en masse. And we just haven't been thinking about other ways to do it. And I think that I would liken it to the way that we used to consume fuel. You know, we, we weren't thinking about this is problematic and we're going to have to have an answer for this. Right. And right now, you know, we're trying to transition to electric vehicles and it's going to take a little while. Why are so many people that could afford an electric vehicle still driving a gas powered vehicle? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. it's habit. It's yeah. habit. It's also the sensory experience. Like we were saying before, it's like, this is, yes. this is what the experience I'd much rather have like an ice engine underneath me than a, a smooth electric that's vehicle. Right. So yeah, yeah. it's cultural. So, and that's why recreating the meat experience is so important. And, and some of the things that go into that are, they get really complex. Like when you talk about biomimicking fat, for example, fat is super important to that organoleptic, uh, experience. And so if you want to taste, smell, hear, even the sizzle, fat is really critical to that. But Oh, absolutely. I read once right that now, apparently they didn't have fat in the original, in the original meat. I thought that's like the first thing I would think of is that it needs fat. <laughs> right. Well, and the good news is that we are seeing so many breakthroughs, really interesting breakthroughs in the production of uh, alternative protein fat. And, and not just not just one answer, but multiple platforms that are saying, hey, this will work and this might work. And then we'll go see which one of those works best. And then I think you'll start seeing more people saying, hey, this is a, this is pretty good. This is pretty this is close approximation. And we'll still we'll see less resistance. But people want what they want and they don't want to change. And, and that's OK. I'm we're all human. I, I'm guilty of the same things, I'm sure. Um, but that's just the way human beings are. So why are we doing it the same way? Because it's always been done that way. Right. And the only way to come up with that new alternatives is to actually get people to say, this is better because if it's the same, then will they change? Right. They'll just say, Oh, well, I can get a steak. If this is not better than steak, then is there, is are we looking at that as well? I mean, improving upon. Well, so this is where it gets interesting. So our theory of change is not that we need to convince the individual person to make a new, a new choice. Our theory is more that we create something that the market embraces at scale, that the biggest food and meat companies embrace at scale. And then the consumer follows when the options are there. And so I think that yes, taste, yes, price, yes, accessibility, all of those things have to come together. That's the magic formula. But behind the scenes, we've got to get we've got to get scale. We have to make this not niche. And then when it's not niche, you see more more people adopting it. So back to the example of electrification of vehicles, if you go on the car lot and everything except three cars are is an electric option, you're more likely to buy the electric option. So we want the market to fully embrace this. And the good news is they are like the five largest meat companies. um, So. 
you know, you have the JBSs, the Cargills, the Smithfields, the BRFs, and um, Tysons. Of those companies, they're all leaning into plant-based, and four of them are making significant investments into cultivated. And this is smart. We see this as um, them realizing that the hardest part of the whole process, the most inconvenient part of the whole process is the animal. So get the animal out of there and use your position in, in this huge industry. Use the fact that you know everything about meat. You know how to make it. You know how to manufacture in a way that is appealing to the consumer. You know how to sell it. You have the supply chain locked down. You, know, you, you have the relationships with the grocery stores and fast food restaurants. This is smart for them. And the really encouraging thing is like with JBS in Brazil, we're talking about Brazil. We're talking about a place that really talk about culturally embracing meat. I mean, this is GDP or something insane like yeah, that. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a, and, and here JBS turns around and says, you know what? We're going to put $100 million into, uh, we're going to outright buy a cultivated meat facility. I mean, this is, this is amazing to me and, and, and so encouraging because we never were about talking to vegans and vegetarians. We don't care. We don't care if you're vegan or vegetarian. We're not trying to move everybody to a vegan or vegetarian lifestyle. We want the world to stop doing something that is literally lighting it on fire. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So can you go into a few of the other things? You mentioned uh, uh, fermentation is yeah. one of the, so you had the alternative proteins and you had fermentation and there was a third one, which I've completely forgot because my uh, notes yeah, plant -based, terrible. Which is just, yeah, plant-based, which is, yeah, no, 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 plant-based fermentation derived and, and cultivated. And um, we've talked a lot about plant-based and, and cultivated. And, and I want to say, uh, before I go into fermentation, these three are the three we see right now. What's going to happen over time is they're going to morph. I talked about hybridization. We're going to see some of these things kind of change over time. Also, I don't know what the consumer nomenclature will be for these. You know, I'm about to tell you a few of our phrases we use right now, but those are probably going to change. So right now, mm -hmm. fermentation is broken into traditional and precision fermentation and biomass fermentation. And all of these essentially are using uh, single cell uh, fungi, bacteria, mycelium, um, and other microbes as a bioproduction platform to kind of produce high value functional ingredients. So those might be um, fats or proteins. It's really enabling technology that can cross platforms. So the product of fermentation may end up helping a plant-based product to have a better fat component. It may end up helping cultivated meat with marbling or something. It may help with taste. Um, and there are all kinds of really interesting ingredients that are being um, introduced through fermentation. And fermentation is really an ancient practice that is being retooled a little bit to use in food. But we have been we've been using fermentation forever. I mean, you think about things like oh yeah, I mean. It's it's but it sounds like a miracle that that this thing can create so much. It's kind of Is a miracle. These little cell factories are miracles, and mm -hmm. and so are the scientists that are that are working on them. I'm I have to say, like the, this is a really exciting time uh, in the world, and it certainly bodes very positively for uh, getting faster to where we need to be. Because in some of these situations, like with the biomass fermentation, you're talking about uh, growth that that can be 
on the level of, you know, tripling, quadrupling in a number of hours. I mean, it's, it's pretty fast to get wow. uh, scale. So that, that's pretty cool. And then precision fermentation, we're, we're just seeing some of the, um, some of the real impact in the dairy area. And that's pretty exciting. There's a company called Perfect Day. They have brave robot ice cream. I don't know if you've tried it, but it's good. I love um, the sound of that. Is it, where's it available? I want to get some of that um, robot ice question. cream. Question, I'd have to look at. Is a robot scooping it or is the robot actually yeah. creating it? <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> It is where you are. So you, you know, do a little. Oh, nice. And find it. I got to try it. Um, <laughs> I've already but, tried robot coffee. Now I need to try robot ice cream. I haven't tried robot cream, burgers yeah. yet, but. But, you know, it's, um, this is essentially using precision fermentation in, in the whey ingredients. So we're just seeing a lot of promise. And then, and then there's also um, the traditional, which is uh, sauerkraut, kimchi, beer, um, and then the biomass that I mentioned earlier, and I hope I haven't misspoken in the last five minutes because I'm even confusing me now. Fermentation is a little bit complex. The biomass fermentation is more when you would look at like corn, the company Q-U-O-R-N, Q-U-O-R-N, yeah, um, yep. which most of us have had experience with. And so we've seen a lot of fermentation to create minced products. And so that's burgers or sausage or uh, chicken nuggets, but we haven't seen a lot of fermentation yet to create the whole cuts that many of us are sort of looking at as the Holy grail. So oh, I yeah. think you're going to, you're going to see that come into play uh, very soon. We have a lot of companies, a lot emerging in this. I think forget it last count, but it's 70 or something companies. Working wow. On. I want to eat that steak. You, can you send me a list? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually you can, you can check out our fermentation state of the industry report. Cause it does list a lot of the companies that are working on this nice. and you can, you can have a very enjoyable trip down the rabbit hole of just Googling I'll, each one of them. And I'll totally, sh- I'll totally share that. And I'm definitely going to go down. <laughs> I want to try this stuff. I mean, this, it's funny how many, how many people out there are like, Oh, you know, I'm not interested. I'm not interested, but you know, this oh, is no. probably, I mean, it's probably even better than, than the stuff. We're I gotta tell now. you, like I, I was at a, a conference last week uh, and, and I had an opportunity to, to try some things I hadn't tried yet. Man, they were really good. Like yeah. not just like, oh, that's pretty good. They were really good. Now, cultivated meat. I, I was listening to another podcast and somebody was talking about trying cultivated meat and, and the podcaster asked, well, yeah, how did you like it? And and he was like, well, I mean, I'd like to say it was earth shattering, but it was chicken. It tasted exactly like chicken. But it was chicken. <laughs> that is, so it's a success. It tasted right. exactly like chicken. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But, so, but you yeah, see, so, here's the thing where we can make it taste even better. Like if somebody's taste buds are like, oh, they like slightly more fat in their meat. You can right. say, oh, let's dial up the fat a little bit or let's That's dial exactly down, right. dial this up and down. And you can, you can have, you can eventually get to the point where you have customized meat. Or like, oh, I like well, my burgers to be fattier. So boom, there you go. There um, are all kinds of parameters incredible. that you can, that you can tune with, with this yeah. technology. And it's like bu- buying a coffee from Starbucks here. Yeah, <laughs> here's exactly. my order. <laughs> Maybe there'll be a meat bar and you go up there and say, I want yeah, a meat, meat bar. bar. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'd like to take a, a, one minute just to talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned GMO earlier. And I, I just got to say. Um, I, it's like the boogeyman. I mean, everyone I says, hate, oh, GMO is so bad. I hate demonizing but... science. Like I hate yeah, demonizing exactly. science. It's just so ridiculous. Um, I've lately seen more and more posts about, you know, oh, God, this bioengineered food label. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, we've been relying on things like fermentation forever. For for mm-hmm. I mean, ninety something like ninety percent of the cheese contains uh, some level of fermentation because of the rennet. We've got situations where oh, yeah. every diabetic has been taking insulin for you. That's precision fermentation. I mean, 
this is not new technology. This is a yep. new way to use an ancient technology. But we've got to stop demonizing science. We've got to stop talking about non-GNMO being the holy grail. It's not. We've got to, we've got to get smart. People, we got to get smart. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm science, with you. I'm with you. Science is not the bad guy here. <laughs> mm-hmm. It never is. It usually never is. <laughs> no, I, well, I won't say never, but usually not. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what about, what was the other thing? So fermentation, like you said, were, were there, were there, other was there a third so we talk about plant-based a little bit so what can you tell me about anything new in the plant-based space yeah there's a i'm not going to be able to talk to it at great length because it's so nascent but there's something called plant molecular farming Mm -hmm. and uh plant molecular farming is essentially getting plants to express different proteins and i'm sure i'm going to hear about this one because i think i probably just botched that so don't don't bank (laughs) on like that being absolutely 100 (laughs) but i can just tell you that pmf is coming down the road um, another interesting one is uh, 3D printing of meat. So oh, yeah, I was, I'm waiting for that. That's the Star Trek replicator thing, right? That's right. I can right. Just yeah, say. that's exactly what that is. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, you know, that, that's here. That's, that's being done. Um, one thing, it was really interesting. I, I went last uh, same conference. I can you actually 3D table. print a steak or yeah. is it still? Oh, wow. Yeah. No, you, you can 3D print that. meat right now. It's, it's very, it's very cool. Um, What's it taste I, like though? I, I, yeah, well, it's. <laughs> It's from what I understand, it's good. Um, mm-hmm. But I, it's just the the scale issue with that. Like, can we, is that, is that going to be the answer for scale? Yeah, probably not. It'll probably stay fairly niche, but, but it's cool to have it. It's great technology. I can see a high-end restaurant now where, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just like a yeah. meat robot. We're talking about. For sure. Well, and, and just the, the creativity that, that it would impart for chefs, you know, if they wanted to put their own stamp on their steak, you know, literally. Yeah. Um, but then there, there's you also can't get this meat anywhere else. It's customized. You know, <laughs> the chefs right. could have. Uh, I love it. The draw. And then I, this is a little bit out there, but uh, not really. It's uh, just very interesting. Went to uh, um, a company in New York, Helena, and they're making um, human breast milk alternative protein. Interesting. So, yeah, you know, that's an interesting one too, and that that makes a lot of sense when you think about what just happened with the formula shortage. I mean that. That's kind of a cool thing that we could maybe have as an alternative. Um, What's funny is that immediately I thought that was really cool. And I'm sure hundreds of people out there are going, oh, my God, that's awful. That's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Technology and science is your friend. I know. (laughs) You could use it for good. (laughs) (laughs) I I have a lot of. I, I, look, I'm I'm an optimist. I, I wouldn't be where I am with GFI if I weren't an optimist, because if you focus on all of the negative externalities that are going on, it is really depressing. I mean, listen, we yeah. are, we are not headed in a good direction. This is, this is a little bit of crazy though, that people aren't sitting up, taking notice that there are climate change deniers, that there are people out there that aren't hearing the uh, resounding bell, the call to action. But I think that we'll get there. And I think there are enough very industrious, innovative, smart, driven people working on this problem that we're going to get there. And here's the other thing that's very encouraging. The investors are lining up. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of interest in putting serious money into the space. And without that, we all know nothing happens. So I'm yeah. happy to say we've got a very robust investor community that is not made up just of specialists, but there are generalists out there who are taking note and saying, hey, this looks like a good opportunity. And when you get into some of the infrastructure needs, we're going to need those investors and they're going to need to see great return for their dollar. And so 
you know, it's a little bit volatile economy right now. It feels a little bit like we're in a, a scary period. But what we're hearing is that primarily that's just going to mean companies are going to have to do a little bit more due diligence. They're going to have to be a little stronger. They might have to do some um, life cycle analyses they weren't planning to do. Who knows? But the, the strong, good, best players will still get funded. And we don't see this as meaning there'll be a slowdown in the pace of progress. That's good. So one more thing before we go into the future. Bugs. Are we eating bugs yet? Are we going to eat bugs? We're eating bugs now. Where's the alternative bug protein thing? Oh, I know. It's like, didn't they say somewhere that oh, the average human being eats X amount of bugs a year anyway, because they fall into food and, and stuff like yeah, that. So yeah, exactly. When exactly. We, I'm assuming that there's a healthy market in the alternative bug protein space. Where's that going? You know, I, 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 think, I think there is, but I have to tell you, we are, we are very intentionally not inclusive of insect protein and right the reason the reason for a lot it, of people though, have issues with it <laughs> well the reason we're not and 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 this goes back to our our basic premise is that the majority of the insects being farmed are being put into feed for livestock right and so if we spend a lot of time and effort promoting the feed and livestock uh, or feed for livestock industry then it takes us away from what we need to be focusing on that um, does not have to do with growing animals for food. So right. it's, a, it's a little bit of a, of a different angle than, than you would think. And, and listen, I support anybody who's trying to do something good for the climate and the environment. And, but it, it's sort of the, it's, it's, we've chosen very, very specific lanes to focus on and stay in and insects just aren't one of them. Right. Well, that's good because I think a lot of people are turned off by that concept. And if you just, if you think about it, there's so many other things you can do. You don't need to go down the insect path no. right, to, to find no. alternative proteins. It's not, it's not necessary. You don't. You don't. Right. So it's time oh. to think like a future. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I wanted to mention one quick thing. And that is go that um, even though we're, we don't spend a lot of uh, time on it at GFI, uh, we certainly do work with some of the companies that do, and we're very um, happy about what's happening in the pet food industry. And I just want to add, there are some really interesting people doing alternative proteins in pet food. So that, oh, that's, a, interesting. that's a great turn of events. I don't know if my cat will like it though. So we'll see. <laughs> He's Your very cat finicky. will like cultivated meat someday. How's that? <laughs> he, he, he likes fish. <laughs> so, all right. It's time to think like a futurist year 2032, 10 years from now. Where do you think we're going to be in 10 years? Where do you think we're actually going to crack the nut of having the majority of meat in the store being cultivated? 10 years. Um, let's say maybe we're, we're seeing a little bit of galvanizing around estimates that fall more like 10 to 15% of the market. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's probably optimistic in terms of where we need to be with the upstream challenges. The, the big linchpin here is going to be what do countries like China do? You know, right. if, a, if a country like that decides to get behind this technology, we could see we could see a, a you know, increase that blows us away. Mm -hmm. What are the chances of that happening, though? Your guess is as good as mine uh, right. on that one. I really don't know. And, and there are a lot of unknowns out there. So while we know that cultivated meat is coming. We can't say the percentage for sure because mm -hmm. we, we don't know what's going to happen with other governments. So when we get to the point where we actually have scale, I mean, how much money will it'll be cheaper, won't it, to, to use cultivated meat than what we're doing today? We hope so. We certainly hope so. That is the goal. Um, 
I don't know what year that's going to be, but that's what we're working towards. And that's where we think we need to be to, for it to make sense. And all I can say is these, these big meat companies and big food companies that are getting behind this must believe that's true or they wouldn't mm-hmm. be getting behind it. Because if you think about everything that goes into actual current meat creation, all of that stuff just disappears, right? But I'm that's sure, right. I'm assuming you have to spend money on other things. But if you get to the point where you're 3D printing meat and you're creating the molecules that go into the meat, et cetera, yeah. that's got to be a less expensive process than everything that needs right. to be done well, to manage all it, these animals. It, Chris, it's nine calories into a chicken to get one calorie out. It's 40 calories yeah. into a cow to get one calorie out. And then you've got to deal with all of the operating the farm and operating the slaughterhouse and all that. I mean, this yeah, is a really messy, fragile system. So yep. yes, overall, we're going to get there for sure. I just, I hope it's faster and I hope we have the governmental backing because in the end, the, the governments around the world have to get behind this to make it happen. It, it's it's going to be too expensive to just come out of the private sector. So is that is that going to have to be the tipping point is that we get the gov- the regulatory pieces or the governments pushing it as opposed to consumer demand or like, what yeah. is there something that we need to happen for it to just sort of start going downhill? I, I think the, the regulatory challenges are, are critical uh, with without the, the clearance the governmental clearance, then it's going to be very hard to get it into consumers' hands. So mm-hmm. we, we definitely need the consumer demand. But more than that, I think we need the clearance so that we can get out there, get it on shelves, get people used to eating it. And, and that's that's true of any of these products. I mean, we, we and we want to work closely with these governments to make it a pleasant experience you know, where our policy team works very hard to make sure that this this is smooth and, and that the transition uh, the shift away from the current food system is uh, is one that's not painful, and that that actually is a in the end a very positive thing for all these governments, and mm-hmm. for the for the big meat companies and the big food companies that adopt it. Hey, you know the world is moving towards sustainability. This is a great is a great feather in your cap. Look at us. We we were we were early. We knew. We saw this coming, and we got on board. Right. Excellent. So if I were thinking about going into the space as a startup. Is there a specific area within the space that's sort of begging for more work, for more uh, yeah, innovation? Yeah, <clears throat> so um, it's a great question. And I think that we're seeing some white spaces emerge right now that are not surprising given what we've been talking about. The infrastructure side really needs attention. Um, the, the CPG end of things, I think we, we are rocking and rolling. We have a lot of people out there creating products and you've seen it in I'll give dairy as an example. I mean, you know, so many different kinds of milk. And mm-hmm. we've seen what happens when consumers have that choice. They start using different milks for different use cases and getting different favorites for their different times of day or whatever it is. And so, yeah. you know, there's there's plenty going on there. Um, there's I always still need a good alternative milk for frothing. I can't find one yet. I mean, everything <laughs> I've tried so far, it's like I have to go back to the old standby. It's like there's got to be some hybrid milk them. or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep with it. They're coming. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I think that uh, in terms of where the opportunity is, yes, yes, we love CPG products. We want to see more of them. That's all great. But we need to lay the groundwork for how we're going to get to scale. So the so boring stuff in the back end, basically. I, I get super excited about startups that are like, hey, we have a solution for bioreactors or we have a solution for a growth medium for cultivated meat. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I feel like, or, or a novel ingredient that's even better because it, it tastes or it imparts, you know, more flavor or tastes more like fat. That, that's what mm-hmm. gets me extremely excited. 
That is not to say that I don't love these companies who are coming out with products because I get like stupidly excited when I have a new product to try <laughs> in this category. Me too. Um, I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Well, that's what you want. You want to you want to build excitement, right? You want people to say this is this is cool. This is interesting. I want to try that. You know. Yeah, I, I tried an I, I tried an ice cream eclipse, and I was I, I loved it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I got nice. back home. I live outside of Washington D.C. And I got back home, and it's nowhere around here. And I'm so frustrated. <laughs> I'm so frustrated. I mean, I shouldn't say it's nowhere. It's in D.C., but I'm about an hour out. And what's it as made out? I love it. I, you know, it's an hour is a bit far for ice cream. <laughs> what was it made out of? Is it a is it plant based or is it? What, what? Yeah, it's plant based, and, and it's just it's 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 a really cool addition. Um, and and I know I've focused on ice cream twice now. You can tell what I'm <laughs> very excited. <laughs> I love ice cream too. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, full disclosure, um, I I am a vegetarian. Uh, I'm actually more recently a vegan, but I've been a vegetarian since I was 11. So I'm a terrible person to ask about whether something is on a parody with a burger because I haven't had one for ever. Right. Right. <laughs> Man, this is awesome. So um, thank you so much. This has been great. So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? You said the, there was a list of uh, restaurants and stuff like that. So you can just send me all that stuff. But is there any yeah. other, what's the best way to get in touch with your organization? You and your Yeah, absolutely. So my my email is l-a-i-n-e-c at gfi.org. So l-a-i-n-e-c at gfi.org. Um, I, I really want to plug one thing before we go. We go are totally open, open access to all of our research. Everybody can can read it, see it for free. Um, we are completely donor funded, so we're not answering to anybody. And our research is uh, fantastic. And so, mm-hmm. if you go on the gfi.org website, you'll find access to all kinds of things like state of the industry reports. They go into far more depth than I've been able to go into in this hour. You'll find uh, all kinds of information about uh, every part of the alternative protein ecosystem. You can get lost on there for hours. It's wonderful. I love and it. I'm going there. I, and we also have a YouTube channel that has a whole bunch of webinars. So if anybody's super interested in getting more into like the science of this or, or, or the business of this, we have both science and business webinars. I highly recommend them. And uh, we love especially to hear from startups. Uh, we have some really terrific resources for companies, uh, both large and small. I'm a little... I'm a little focused on startups because of what I do, but uh, no matter what size the company is, we'd love to hear from you. Nice. Fantastic. I'm going there and I've got an idea for a food startup. So I'll I'll run it past you later. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. Email me, Chris. (laughs) I will. All right. Thank you so much. Talk to you you soon. Thank you. It was great. Bye. Bye. Bye.